on a steamboat headed up the Mississippi River, then made the trip across to Louisville, hanging between two boxcars in the dark. In Louisville, things had gone against him, and he had come away in a great hurry, following the bends of the river, but none too closely. Maybe as far as Brandenburg, he thought. At the edge of the woods, he found a cluster of new white mushrooms and ate them raw. There were shoots of poke salad, too, which ought to be boiled to drain their poison. They might have been small and new enough to be safe, but he wouldn't risk it. Yesterday, he had happened into blackberry brambles and found a few, still reddish, underripe, and sour on his tongue, and afterward in his stomach. He was still considering the pokeweed when a plump rustle in the leaves behind him made him turn, and there was a young blue jay, down from his nest a windfall the old ones must have laid before him. With one movement, he'd wrung off its head and was catching the first warm jet of blood in the back of his throat. That alone was enough to strengthen him. He still had flint and steel in his pocket, but he was wary of smoke from a cook fire, however small. He carried the bird back to the limestone shelf to pluck it and then ate it raw, all but the viscera and the feet, chewing the little bones and the skull of it most thoroughly. Encouraged, he walked westward, till he struck a deer trail which he then began to follow. The trail meandered roughly along the same course as the river, now and then coming in sight of it, through a gap in the trees. There were vast clearings with corn just beginning to tassel, south of his way, in the direction of Brandenburg. In the end, he might gain the Mississippi again, but that would be days on his bare feet and there were soldiers beginning to move in these parts, both the gray and the blue. When war became general, he could make his own way, but this circling suspicion was hard for him to navigate. He began to know that he was being watched, by nothing human, though, he thought. He stopped moving, hand on the grip of his knife, and looked, barely breathing, only his eyeballs moving. A doe, a big one between the river and the trail. Melting brown eyes turned on him through a cluster of black oak and maple leaves and the pale, slender leaves of the cane. When he dropped his hip to free the knife, she was up and away, the white tail flashing. He didn't run after her. No man can run down a deer. A panther, maybe, or a wolf, or two wolves working in concert. He might have brought her down with a pistol, but his pistol was lost in Louisville along with his boots. He cut a six-foot length of stout green cane and split one end of it and set the grip of his knife in the notch. With this rough blade chucker in his right hand, he went the way the doe had gone, following sign. She had not run far, and sometimes he could hear her light hooves crunching dry leaves of the ground cover. He heard the silence when she stopped, and twice he made out the line of her shoulder— and her head turned back, long ears revolving as she looked at him. But he never had a clear throw with the undergrowth, not until she broke across the open road. Then he lunged forward, using every ounce of his breath and his heartbeat to whittle a few yards off of her lead as he whipped the green cane forward. The knife released as he'd meant for it to and buried its blade behind her left shoulder. The doe ran on smoothly at first, but then there came a hitch, one leg stuttering in her gait. When she slowed and turned back to nuzzle the hilt of the knife, her forward leg gave way and she fell down. He caught his breath. 
Horsemen were coming up the road from the direction of Brandenburg, clop, 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 at a steady trot on the corduroy. He had time to disappear into the brush, but still they might well ride him down, and he would have lost his knife, too, and his kill. He would not be driven off his kill as easily as that. Huffing and covering his heart with his palm, he walked to the fallen doe and crouched, looking in her liquid eyes as the light went out of them. He drew the knife free, and when the blood came, he thanked her for letting her life pour into his. He pulled her head back then and turned it to bring the big vein up thick beneath the wedge of white fur and cut it carefully so she could bleed dry into the ditch beside the road. The horseman had reined up by then. Five riders in long linen dusters, one black among them, leading a pack mule behind his horse. The one who seemed to be their captain had a short carbine and a scabbard by his right knee.